the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 562 for Sunday, July 19th, 2015. Oh, greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. The show that's been card call a card, the show that's been called Car Talk for Apple Geeks. We answer your questions, we share your tips, we share our own tips, we share all kinds of stuff, and the goal is that we learn lots of new things each and every time we come together. Being Sunday morning, we're going to lower the goal a little bit to maybe three new things minimum. But feel free to set your own goals beyond that. That's that's our gift to you. Sponsors for this show include. Barebones software at barebones.com, makers of BB Edit. We will talk a little bit more about that shortly during the show. Linda at lynda.com slash MGG, where you get 10 free days of the future of learning with Linda's awesome training videos on just about every topic. Talk more about that during the show. And also other world computing at maxsales.com, one of our favorite places for RAM and hard drive upgrades and really any kind of upgrade. So we will talk more about them during the show, too, here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in soon-to-be-sweltering Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. Good morning, John F. Braun. How are you today? It is a good morning. I think so. I think so. In my, in my air-conditioned little hidey hole here? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still rehydrating from last night. I was... um I helped uh, a friend of mine produced a, uh, uh, a Tommy tribute show that, that these guys from Sweden put together. They came all the way over here to do it. And uh, so I actually sang a couple of songs with them, which was a true pleasure. And they used my drums and a bunch of the gear that we use in the band fling that I play in. So uh, we were out, out late, really just loading out gear, being, being uh, glorified roadies. So it was, uh, it was, uh, I'm, I'm rehydrating is what I'm doing. It's all good. So I do. I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about BB Edit from Barebones. Barebones, of course, being our first sponsor for the show here today. BB Edit is. It's one of those products that is synonymous with with the Mac and and really doing any kind of text editing or editing at all on the Mac. It's been around for decades. And, uh, and Barebones lives up to their motto of making software that doesn't suck. Actually, they go way beyond that. It's not that it just doesn't suck. It's awesome, right? I mean, they, they need a, they, 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 that motto doesn't do justice to the care and craftsmanship that goes into their software. And BB Edit is a fine reflection of that. BB Edit's a text editor at its core, but it's so powerful with what you can do. Um, you know, one of my favorite things to do with it is compare documents. For example, when the most recent terms and conditions uh, were updated from Apple, from the iTunes store, I keep an old copy of the terms and conditions around. And I figured I wanted to know what the differences were. And maybe you would want to know what the differences were. So I actually used BB Edit to without BB edit, I could not have crafted this article. And it was actually an article that did quite well for us. So I took the old version. I opened it up in BB edit. I took the new version and opened it up. And the nice part is BB edit kind of just dismisses all the formatting and bolding and italicizing and all of that. And you just get raw text copied 
you know, two, two versions of it, the old, the new. And then you say, find differences. And it brings up this awesome three paned view with both documents and in their own panes. And then at the bottom, a, a view that shows you what the differences are line by line. And so you go through and you click on, you know, line 42, what's the difference. And then it brings both documents to line 42. And even within the line, it highlights where the changes are. So in real time, you can kind of scroll back and forth and it all sort of matches up. And it's, it's this very fluid thing, really, really handy to do. And one of my favorite ways to find differences. And so I did, I just logged through them and some of them are stupid. Some of them's like, well, you know, I, they, they changed the space, right? They had two spaces and they made it one. Okay. Well, we're not going to, we're not going to detail that one. Right. But you know, sometimes when they make changes to wording and stuff, it's important for us to know. That's just one of the things BB edit can do. I use it to count words in documents. And these are all just normal user things. We haven't even gotten into the coding things, which is what BB edit's actually written for, right? I mean, it's written for programmers and, and all of that stuff, but I use it every day. And half of what I use it for is coding. And half is like I said, you know, comparing documents, counting the number of letters, counting the number of words, counting the number of lines. Uh, if you need to do find and replace in Many files simultaneously, you can point a folder, open up a folder with BB edit and say, go in that folder with all those documents, find this and make the change to that. And it'll open them and save them and iterate through everything. It's awesome. Uh, really, really fantastic piece of software. You got to check it out. Barebones.com. They'll let you download a free trial because that's who they are. And, uh, and then from there, you know, you, you'll decide you love it and you can go and buy it. And it's uh, it's 50 bucks it's when, when you're ready. But uh, but go check out that free trial because I think I think you're going to love it. Barebones.com. John, last week we did uh, we did cool stuff found as 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 you know, and there there are always things we don't get to fit into uh, into cool stuff found. And uh, especially we can't fit those things that we didn't know about until we saw them afterwards, but one of them, and we'll talk about another product from this vendor in, in a minute here, but uh, one of them is called disc sensei and it's from Sindori. These are the people that brought us trim enabler, which is what we're going to talk about uh, in a moment here, but this is a killer utility and uh, really, really smooth stuff. It's a, it's like a, um, it's a dashboard, I guess is, is the right way to look at it. Or it starts with a dashboard that shows you all this information about uh, the, the disc or discs in your computer. Uh, what kind of drive it is, the firmware, the capacity, the temperature drive health, uh, all kinds of stuff. And it, it shows you how full your drive is and how much data you've written to it and read from it. And, and you get all this great stuff. So you really, really got to check it out. It's a, a good diagnostic tool shows you all the health stuff on your drive. So that's, um, that's one that's going in my, uh, in my tool book. So tool book, toolbox. toolbox. I don't know. <laughs> have you, have you checked out disc sensei, John? Uh, no, I just, just brought it up here and, uh, yeah, well, I think, uh, bits and pieces of that info are, are available in other utilities that you and I use. That's uh, right. It's like, this is a nice way to uh, concentrate it all in uh, one, one place. It is. So, you know, while we're talking about, um, disc sensei, it, it seems appropriate to talk about 
the subject that is the focus of another one of their utilities over there, and that is trim enabler. Um, and I believe you can enable this functionality with Disk Sensei. Uh, trim enabler is a, a just a, a more focused piece of software. But um, we talked a lot about trim uh, two shows ago. Trim being a uh, garbage collection process um, functionality of SSDs that requires tie-in from the operating system. And, and, and as we discussed in, uh, in 10.10.4, Apple has unofficially and very much unsupportedly given us the ability to re-enable trim at an OS level without having to, to you know, change kernel extensions or anything like that. And that, that's great. But one of the things we talked about was that there are some drives, specifically these Samsung drives, uh, some Samsung drives, that don't properly support trim and you can have, there can be damage, right? You, you had brought that up, John. <laughs> They're <laughs> overly enthusiastic in that they clear out more data than they should, which is what trim does essentially. It basically cleans things up for you. But yeah, they, they, they had a bug in their implementation on some of their drives. So it would... Yeah, it would basically erase data, and that's 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 terrible. <laughs> yeah, it is terrible. Uh, and I I said, well, I'm throwing caution to the wind. You know, these drives have been used with Trim on Windows by default for you know forever. Uh, I've always used it on the Mac up until Yosemite, and so I did a little more research after the show and found that in fact there is this bug, and it is specifically about what's called queued Trim commands, and. When you send queued trim commands to these particular drives, they don't always respond in the right way. And John, uh, you crystallized that perfectly. However, there's only one operating system right now that sends queued trim commands, and it's Linux. And all of these drives are now blacklisted in the latest drivers on Linux from being able to receive queued trim commands. So it's not a problem on the Mac. Uh, it's not a problem um you know on windows it's just a problem on linux if you don't have things up to date so i just wanted to share that because i it's an important it's an important distinction so yeah and i thank you because during that show i said i'm i'm scared and sure. i'm not going to do trim force but after you reassured me and did some additional research I then went to both my machines, which both have SSDs, and I did enable it. And so far, uh, so good. Good for you. Hey, awesome. That's killer. Yeah, living on the edge. Yeah. Taking well, one for the team. <laughs> hey, um, while we're, while we're kind of catching up from cool stuff, Haystack Software makes a backup package called ARC, A-R-Q. And the cool part about ARC is you buy the software once, and then you can back up to anything you want. Uh, they, they're, they don't sell a backup service. They sell backup software. And then it's up to you to decide where you want this data to go. And so, uh, and they support all kinds of, of, uh, of features and, and backup destinations. You get to, you get to pick your cloud and they, they support Google drive and Dropbox and if you have an FTP or an SFTP server, you can put it there. They support OneDrive and Amazon S3 and Amazon Glacier, right? And now they support Amazon Cloud Drive. And the reason that's a big deal is because of the pricing. Amazon Cloud Drive for $60 a year gives you unlimited storage. 
This isn't just unlimited storage for one computer. Creative people can figure out what that means, right? You can, you could theoretically get one Amazon cloud drive account and use Arc, which you'd also buy. And you'd have to license Arc properly for multiple computers. And I honestly don't know how that, uh, how that works. We'll, we'll find out, but, um, but that's it. Oh no, for Arc, Arc, I, I know it now. So uh, you can buy Arc for forty bucks for forty bucks flat fee for one computer forever, or you can sign up for a ten dollar a month um, Arc personal account, which uh, which now supports unlimited computers and actually comes with some storage. So they they are well, it's coming, it's coming. That's not out yet. So they're, so they're doing a little. They are actually enhancing the product. So forty bucks a computer gets you a copy of Arc and then your one Amazon cloud drive. Um, $60 a year account and you can dump all your data there. So that's a, that's a pretty compelling story for online cloud backup. And I wanted to, I wanted to make sure everybody knew. Don't you think John? So what do you mean by unlimited? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. See, that's why, that's why I think Flickr was really smart to roll out one terabyte of storage, right? I think it's actually unlimited. I don't think they'll stop you if you hit one terabyte. Has anybody out there hit one terabyte of pictures with, with Flickr uploads? Um, I mean, it would take a lot. My wife's iPhoto library is 230 gigs and, um, and, and or photos library, but migrated from iPhoto. So it still contains a lot of the cruft that iPhoto leaves behind. But um, her 230 gig photos library, when uploaded to Flickr, translates to about 80 gigs of photos still a lot of photos but you know so you'd need you'd need you know two plus terabytes of photos in in a photos library to to max out your Flickr account yeah i wonder how long they're gonna do that because you know i've just taken a peek on one of my machines here is that i'm almost certain at one point that i did have a small amount of amazon cloud drive storage because i think they threw it in just if you were a amazon customer which i am right Right. um I, i just check now and and uh yeah and they said uh yeah we got new plans you're gonna uh you're gonna have to make a decision here and give us some money so right <laughs> yeah because i've seen other cloud services do the same thing they said oh yeah unlimited and then eventually reality hits and they're like uh yeah we're gonna have to kind of back off on that a bit but well we'll see it's amazon. amazon has right that's the thing is amazon has a ton of storage i don't know that even the you know the edge cases are going to cause them a problem so so um, we can talk about this now. Brian uh, Monroe, and I mentioned my wife's photo strategy. He, uh, he asked if she was using Google Photos as well. And Brian Monroe asked this in our chat room at MacGeekab.com slash stream. Greetings, everyone. Uh, she is, but here's the thing. We're not using iCloud Photo Library for her because, uh, because Flickr, frankly, provides the cloud storage for free. And when you upload your iCloud Photo Library from your Mac or when you upload your photos library from your Mac to Flickr, it inherits all of your albums and all of that stuff. So you really do have this, this, you know, cloud repository that's, that that fairly well matches what you have locally. And it can even do more things. You know, you can go onto Flickr once it has your photos and say, find me pictures of vehicles and it will find all vehicles. And you can say, okay, narrow that down to airplanes and it will show you pictures of airplanes. I mean, it's doing some processing on these, which is cool. Google photos, um, the upload the the, the the problem with Google Photos is the upload path for the Mac, uh, frankly, sucks compared to Flickr. Flickr, you run their Flickr uploader app. It sits in the background. As I mentioned, it 
in, intelligently parses and then transfers your photos library up to the cloud, preserving all this, this data. Whereas Google photos, you have to manually drag pictures into the web browser interface or their uploader. I guess maybe they have a Mac uploader, but it's not, it's not intelligent. It doesn't parse through. It is intelligent from iOS. So if you have all your photos on iOS, then yes, it will back them up. But unless you're using iCloud photo library, you're not going to have all your pictures on iOS. Chances are. And so therefore it's not really the right thing. Flickr is still the right thing. But um, I promised I would follow up on my wife's photos library thing. So we took her for iPhoto library always lived on our Synology NAS. I copied it over to a, a, a 500 gig SSD, uh, which I knew had enough room to, you know, to do the migration because I wanted to do it local to the computer just in case. And, uh, and so then I, you know, I plugged it into her computer. I pointed the iPhoto at that so that it, it saw it there and we did the migration there, or the upgrade, or whatever you want to call it, and it it did its magic and did its hard links and all that stuff, and and we let it process through and create all its thumbnails and do all the things that it needed to do locally on our machine, and then when we were done, I copied the photos library back to the NAS to the uh, Synology NAS, and um, and and then pointed her photos, you know, application at that, and it's been working flawlessly for what two weeks now, no problem whatsoever. I think part of the trick is getting the data to and from the NAS, you have to use uh, the network. Like I, I thought, Ooh, it'd be faster if I just plugged this USB three, uh, you know, SSD directly into my Synology and just blasted the data there. But there's all of this metadata that potentially could come along with an AFP connection. The, the you know, the network connection that, uh, that OS 10 uses when it talks to Synology. And I thought, you know, we might want to preserve that. So I just let it do the copy over the network, which frankly isn't that long. I mean, I've got gigabit ethernet here. And, and so, you know, that path worked very, very well. And so now she's got photos and, and she uses photo stream. So her thousand most recent photos are on all, all her devices. And uh, with Flickr, anything that goes into photo stream that makes it to her Mac gets uploaded to, uh, to Flickr. So it's a, it's a perfect little solution. It's, it's the implementation of the solution we've talked about here on the show many times. So it, it real life and it works. And Alex is asking for a flow chart for it. Okay. Alex, just for you, I'll do it. <laughs> hey, uh, you know what? Let's, uh, we had a, a good follow up and, uh, and a question from our good friend, Mr. X. So let's, uh, Mr. X, why don't you take it away? Oh, no, no, no. Click there. Hi, this is Mr. X again. Um, about episode 546. I know I'm a little behind, but I'm catching up. Um, uh, I, there has been an, an acknowledged, at least among users, uh, reliability problem with the first generation of uh, time capsules, the ones that were that were capable of 2.4 or 5 gigahertz, but were not dual radio, uh, where you had to choose between one or the other, that there was something with the power supply, and it tended not to manifest itself for at least a few years. I think I, I had one of those, and I got about four or five years out of it. Um, the other thing I would suggest if you're uh, having a problem with routers dying uh, is get Ethernet surge suppression uh, between your cable modem and your router, uh, I used to blow, we used to lose uh, uh, routers at my house 
every 18 months or so. Um, but I got a battery backup that had Ethernet protection, and I wired that in between the cable modem and the router. And the the, the next router I got uh, was an Asus, and that one lasted like three or four years. And now I've got an Apple Time Capsule, the second generation um, that, that has that is 2.4 and 5 gigahertz simultaneously, and that thing's still going strong. Um, that's all I had to say. That's it. Bye. Thanks, Mr. X. Yeah, we I, I went through exactly that. Thankfully, my power supply in that very first gen time capsule died within my one year warranty. Actually, no, it died within the three year warranty. But because I had this is one of those things and I haven't tested this recently. So if you have uh, John or, or anybody out there, let us know with Apple Care. If you have Apple Care on your Mac, it spills over to some other things. And at that point in time, it was spilling over to uh, routers, the time capsule specifically, and also displays. So I was able to get it fixed under the umbrella of one of the iMacs that I had bought, you know, around the same time that I had Apple care on and they did, they swapped out the power supply. So that's actually a tip. Remember that and dig into that when you have, you know, any Apple peripheral that that sort of starts getting flaky. It might actually be covered under an extended warranty of your Mac. Yeah. Yeah. I had one of those and in my humble opinion, it's a piece of junk and and that's where it went. I I brought it to the uh, recycling center, which will rip that stuff apart and dispose of it properly. Yeah. You remember we had the whole uh, battle uh, royale about... Yeah, 2.4 versus 5. And I'm like, well, no, I'm seeing this. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, what you're seeing means that it isn't doing it right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm much happier with the, I think I, I have now the fourth generation extreme. Right, right. Which I'm still kind of, uh, still does some weird things. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Actually, you know, I have an idea for you. Let's let's talk after the show. I've got this Netgear router that I've been wanting to check out but maybe you're the right one to check this one out. So I might, I might have, yeah, 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 yeah. I might have something oh. to send you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, All yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I've seen some around. I've been considering, uh, I've seen some AC units, although I don't currently yeah, this is have AC. any hardware that, although I don't currently have any devices that do AC as far as I know. Your uh, iPad air doesn't. Oh, does it? It, uh, it might. Yeah. Okay. It, it might. Right, that, that may. Yeah. yeah, but neither of my computers do because they're. Oh yeah, your computer's just shy of, well, of that, right? Yeah, well, I got the twenty twelve, the, the oldest machine is yeah. twenty twelve, and I think that's still on end. Which hey, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I actually still use that first gen time capsule. I uh, the wireless radio has not been on in years because it's worthless, as as you pointed out, and I yeah. just use it as a as a another time machine backup. I know the drive in there will die. Uh, but it's a one terabyte drive that sits on my network. And so fine. I let it sit on my network and I point oh, a yeah. couple of computers to it. Yeah. I think I actually liberated the drive out of that. But I think it was, was it a one? It was a terabyte? one. That's right. It was a one. Yeah. I think I liberated that drive and threw it in the Drobo. <laughs> oh, smart. <laughs> the Drobo was like, oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I'll take yeah. it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I do want to take a minute and John and quickly talk about our second sponsor, which is Linda at L Y N D a dot com slash M G G the folks at Linda. I really believe this is the future of education. And the nice part is not only can you test it out 
very inexpensively. In fact, you can test it out for free because that link gives you 10 free days. But even when you want to pay full price for it, it's really inexpensive, right? Um, because it's only 25 bucks a month to get access to their entire course catalog. This, this is why this is the future of education. You get to do it on your own pace, right? You can do it at home. You can do it on the subway. You can do it um, on an airplane. You'd have to uh, pay for a slightly more expensive account that lets you uh, save the videos offline, which is fine. Uh, you literally can learn anywhere and you get to learn at whatever speed you want. Right. So, and I, you know, um, my, my son has been taking a, a geometry course on his own and it, it's really nice to be able to just go at your own pace. This is killer, right? Because you don't have to, if you're fast at this particular subject, you don't have to wait for and go at the speed of the average of the class, right? Or even worse, the speed of the slowest student in the class. You get to go at your speed and that's okay. If you're the slowest student, that's okay, right? You go at your speed. But if you're the fastest student, you get to go at your speed too. And these courses cover everything, right? I mean, you can, you can learn all the kind of traditional stuff, but you can also, they've got programming courses in there. They've got accounting courses. They've got, if, if you, if you have ever fancied yourself, say a photographer and you want to take some courses about how to compose pictures, boom, there you go. And then if you've taken those pictures and now you want to learn how better to edit them, find a course for whatever your favorite software package for editing pictures is. And Linda has them. And then you can go take that course. And again, we're not talking about paying per course, pay $25 a month and you can take as many courses as you like. It's brilliant. And they're so well done. These teachers are absolutely fantastic. Best in class. Some of them have actually been hired full-time by Linda. Uh, so they are staff teachers, but staff instructors, I guess is a, is a better, better way to say it. But some of them are people that are just out there uh, like us doing what we do. And then also uh, doing the Linda thing. So you've got to check this out. These courses are awesome. They have, you know, thousands of courses, but none of them are long in the tooth. They take stuff offline all the time. That's not relevant. And, and sometimes we'll update it to make it relevant again. Or if it's a topic that's no longer that when the topic itself is no longer relevant, they just take it offline. So they're not padding their catalog with fluff. All this stuff is killer and current. You got to check it out. Linda L Y N D a dot com slash M G G gets you those 10 free days. And please do use that L Y N D a dot com slash M G G thing. Uh, it lets them know we're the ones that told you to go there. And that's good. Uh, it's frankly, it's good for, it's as good for them as it is for us, uh, which makes it good for you. It, it lets them know that we're the ones that sent you there. They know that their advertising works and, uh, and you get to have them continue to support this show. So it, it works all the way around, but go ahead and sign up for your 10 day free trial. Check it out. It's the summer. It's a perfect time to just learn that one new thing. You don't have to go crazy. Just one new thing. It's fun. It's what we do here. Moving to Jay, John, and Apple Music. Oh, Apple Music. I've actually, I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty <laughs> pleased with it, to be honest with you. It works way better than iTunes Match worked prior, and I still have an iTunes Match account. But um, for you, it does. <laughs> 
That's the thing. Well, I didn't. I didn't say it was perfect. I said it works way better than right. right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Let's level level set. Here. Level okay. set. Right. Um, Jay says my inquiry relates to playlists in iTunes. Is there a way to have them show or populate in the new iCloud Music Library? It seems that the only playlists that can be in the iCloud Music Library have to be created on the iOS device and not imported from iTunes before you could create a playlist in iTunes and sync that playlist to your iOS devices. My second inquiry, not all of my music in iTunes is showing in my iCloud music library from the looks of it. That music is not showing uh, the music that is not showing comes from non Apple sources like Amazon, Google and other older CDs that I've just ripped into iTunes. Is this possibly due to a format issue or barrier Revenue license reconciliation or Apple locking me into its ecosystem and not playing well with others. P.S. I have tried to change some of the music files to other formats and it's still a no go with them and that they don't appear in my iCloud music library under the settings show Apple music and iCloud music library are checked and enabled. All Apple devices are running latest software with updates. So here's the thing, Jay, all of this stuff that's not happening for you should automatically be happening for you and in in a in a broad sense happens for everyone. Now there are a couple of things that will cause iCloud music to not work. So there's there 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 let's but but let's talk about these two checkboxes that that Jay mentioned, right? And and if he's right, if you go in on your Mac, iTunes preferences, uh you will see Two checkboxes under, uh, I believe it's general, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it here, even though that's a risky move while you're recording a podcast. In the general tab, yep, there are two checkboxes right at the top. Number one is show Apple Music. That will show you the radio stuff and the for you recommendations uh, based on all of that. The second is iCloud Music Library, which described in the preference pane says store all of your music in iCloud and access songs and playlists across all of your devices. This is the part that is not working for you, Jay, right? It's clear you have access to Apple music, but for whatever reason, iTunes is not actually enabling iCloud music library. And I've been through a little bit of this, but only because I screwed it up on my own. When I first turned it all on, it worked great. And then I was traveling and I was, uh, I saw the reports that iCloud music library was replacing iTunes matched songs and artwork and all of that. And I, I got scared, frankly. So I remote accessed into my computer and I turned off that checkbox. And then of course I realized it was all fear, uncertainty and doubt and was not in fact true um, in the sense that it would have affected my main iTunes library. So I went to turn it back on. I turned it back on. It didn't come back on. I tried again. It didn't come back on. I have more than 25,000 songs in my library. This has not been a problem with iTunes match, even though it yells at me and says I can't match new songs. It's fine. No problem. I got that. iCloud Music Library somehow turned on, even though I had more than 25,000 songs, probably because I had iTunes match. And so it just sort of piggybacked on that. But once I turned off iCloud Music Library, which also then turns off iCloud match on that computer, I could not re-enable it until I got, I was stupid. 
I actually removed songs from my library, re-enabled it, got it all synced up, and then added those songs back in. It meant I lost playlist data from those, and, and it was a, it was, I created more of a mess for myself than I should have. What I should have done was gone back to a backup of my iTunes file in uh, Time Machine, but I digress. These are the things that should work for you with iCloud Music Library, and I've seen it on my wife's machine when she enabled iCloud Music Library uh, it scanned her library. And then I saw it uploading tracks that she had that were not in iTunes and other people don't have access to those, but she does on all of her devices and all of her playlists are synced and all of that. So as long as you're not at this 25,000 song limit, you should be seeing all this stuff. So my advice in this situation, again, with the caveat that you shouldn't mess with anything if you have more than 25,000 songs um, or at least know that you might wind up in a world of hurt if you do is to turn it off, hit okay, quit iTunes, come back into iTunes, turn it back on. That should force a resync. If it doesn't turn it off and then also go into the account menu. I believe that's where you're going to see that and disable genius because this data, it's, it's sort of related to the genius data. There's this database that Apple on, locally on your computer keeps and then, and then uploads parts of that to the cloud. So turn off genius, make it recreate your genius database by then turning it back on, then re-enable iCloud music library. And hopefully that does it. It's, it's one of those, you know, turn it off and turn it on things. But I, if you call Apple support they're they are as they are getting up to speed and they're doing a fine job, but they are uh, based on my personal experience with them. And then also all the reports we're getting from you folks, the Apple support people were not happy having iCloud music library just dumped in their laps with no training. And, and that's what they've, they've said to many customers is that that's exactly what happened. So they they are eager to help, but not necessarily full of answers. If that makes sense. Thoughts, Mr. Braun, you still with me? I'm with you. All right. Um, honestly, I haven't been doing much with, uh, with the, uh, iTunes, uh, or with the, the music as of late. So I've not had reason to shake my fist. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you done the thing where, I mean, you've got iCloud music library and Apple music turned on, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, no. Okay. Um, yeah. Once you, uh, yeah. The only, uh, yeah, a couple of shows ago, you had you know yeah. uh, coerced me into uh, against my better judgment, um, <laughs> or, or to sign up for the trial. Yeah, you know, for the listeners. Again, sure. I'm taking one for the team here. Um, have you have you the tried only hiccup it? I had was have you tried it the, remotely, where you're streaming music from your library oh, sure. remotely. Okay, oh, yes, yeah, all no. that works for you. Yeah. Okay, good, cool. Yeah, the only thing is that I had not enabled it on my iOS devices. You know, so I was like, well, what a, what a piece of junk. I'm not seeing my music on my iOS devices. And you were like, well, dude, you got to turn it on. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason, it doesn't turn it on by default. Where, no. Whereas at least on my, my Macs, it, it did. Right. Right. It seemed to figure it out. Yeah, no, it's a, yeah, it's kind of nice. I, I don't know if, uh, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm getting much out of it. So I, I may just do the free trial. On sure. That. Well, and I mean that, yeah, there's right. There's two pieces of it is, is the functionality and all of that. And, and does it work? And then also does it provide you a, a value that you care about? You know, like yesterday for me, it, I totally relied on it because I got to the, the theater 
early in the day because they were using my drums, which actually we had dropped off earlier in the week. But I got there early because I had to bring some cymbals for them. And, and so as they're setting up, uh, I was on deck to sing one song in, the, in, in this whole Tommy tribute. I sang Pinball Wizard, which was totally a blast. Um, and then they asked me, this, the second set of the show was, was just who's greatest hits kind of thing. And the guitar players came up to me and they're like, hey, man, um, uh, Henrik was supposed to sing Substitute, but he doesn't know the words. Uh, he didn't know we were doing the song. And he's like, so uh, do you want to sing it? I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know the words. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. You, you can have a music stand or whatever. And I'm like, okay, but couldn't he? And they're like, well, it'd be better to just have a guest. Like, okay, great. Sure. Yeah, I'm in. You know, I got less sense than fear, so I'll happily do these things. But with that, with iTunes music or with Apple music, I was able to just stream. I have a copy, a couple of copies of substitute in my music library, but they weren't on my phone. And I was able to just stream them, you know, from my library to my phone. And, and I always had problems doing that with iTunes match. Uh, and I've had, it's been flawless for me with Apple music. And I could have streamed a copy from, from Apple too, you know, just from the, the music streaming, I could have streamed it from, from them. But the point was I was able to listen through to the song, get some of the, you know, the, the uh, phrasing of, of some of the lines, because Roger Daltrey's a weird kind of singer. And so uh, it went mostly well. I, I missed a, an entrance cue. And so then it became like a who show and everybody on stage is kind of looking around like, hey, what's going to happen next? It's like, good. Feels dangerous. We did the right thing. But Apple Music helped us get there. So it's yeah, it is handy. It's great. And what's awesome about Apple Music? Try this out. You know, if uh, if I'm driving in the car, of course, because it's Apple Music, Siri is totally tied into it. So I can just press my Siri button, you know, the home button on my, on my phone. And I can say, play the album Tommy by the who. And it just plays it. There's no more fanfare. I mean, there is fanfare, but it's the fanfare in the beginning of, of the Tommy overture, right? It's awesome. So that, the, the, that's the big leg up that Apple's got, right? Is that this is all tied in with their whole, you know, their device ecosystem. You can't do that with Spotify right now. I'd have to like go into Spotify and fumbling with the app and breaking the law and all that stuff. Now I just say, play me this song. And it plays me this song. Play me that album. It plays me that album. It's killer. I love it. It's good. It's fun. So yeah, I'm pretty bullish on it. Time to move on to Rob, I think. Rob says... I have a huge problem with Apple Music. Even Apple Support's own people are experiencing the same issues as me, and the lady I spoke with with was equally as frustrated as I am and admitted that since my initial call to her that she noticed that she too had the same problem herself. The problem is uh, that it relates to the mismatching of tracks and album art when I enabled iCloud Music Library. I have approximately 6,000 tracks and 500 albums, and I'd say 20% have now all been assigned incorrect album art on my iPad, as well as replacing some songs from a live album with their studio versions. My media is stored locally on my Mac, which also has iCloud Music Library enabled, but all the tracks and album art have remained intact there. I've turned on and off iCloud Music Library and re-upload, rematched my music, resynced my iPad, created a new library on my Mac and enabled iCloud Music on that, then deleted all the tracks. So that process is how you clean out iCloud Music Library, right? You create a new library on your Mac and leave it empty. But when you sync, or you can do this on another Mac too, but if you only have one Mac, you just create a new library with holding down the option key when iTunes starts and you create a new library, add it to iCloud music. And then suddenly you'll see everything that's in iCloud music. Well, 
At that point, you can highlight everything, command, option, delete, and it will say, hey, do you want to delete all this stuff from the cloud? And you say yes, and boom, it's gone. That's the way you wipe out the cloud to start over. And he's tried that, but it didn't work. Um, so, yeah, it, and this was the problem that when we first heard these reports and it wasn't real clarified, uh, made me turn off iCloud Music Library was this whole mismatching of tracks thing. Just to be clear, uh, and, and Rob even said this, it's mismatching the artwork and sometimes even the songs when he's trying to download or stream it to his remote devices. But the main source of his music, his, his one particular Mac from which all of it came, has remained intact. So it's that it's doing, it's matching it poorly when it goes up to the cloud. And then of course, once it's in the cloud incorrectly, you try and stream it down to another device and it pulls the wrong thing. This also means if you delete your local copy on your main Mac and then decide later, you're going to replace it or, you know, re download it from the store. It might also be mismatched. In fact, it almost certainly would be. This is a problem Apple is aware of and has to work on and fix, but, um, it's not easy, you know, this whole matching of things. If they're, if they're too strict about it, it won't match anything. And if they're too loose about it, this happens. So it's a, it's a fine line that they have to walk. And, and I, my guess is, you know, this is going to be something that iterations of both the software we have on our devices as well as the software Apple has on their servers are required. And, and, and it, Rob said it didn't fix it, but this week's iTunes, whatever it was, 12.2.1.16 update uh, is supposed to fix some of this stuff. But these are the problems that Apple Music has these days. And that's just how it goes. I don't, I don't have a magic answer. I don't think uh, if anybody does, of course, let us know. Of course. Got something for us, John? Do I? Do you? You mean um, Adam? Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, this is a good one. I think. And hats off to Adam here. So, Adam writes, Hi, guys. So, I have an old G4. Yes, you heard that right. G4 Mac Mini running 10 point, uh, I assume OS 10. <laughs> yes. OS 10, 10.5.8. Wow. Thought I was old school. <laughs> All I use it for is to play a loop of music for my businesses on hold system. I currently use iTunes 10.2.2. Two issues. One, when iTunes start, starts, it says the certificate for the server ax.itunes.apple.com is invalid. Number two, it pesters me to update to the latest version of iTunes constantly, even though I have software update turned off. How can I get that certificate okay permanently and make iTunes not want to update? I think I have an answer. I think I have two answers, Dave. So number one, I, I wish he would have uh, sent a screenshot of exactly what certificate error he's getting. Um, but I think what happened, based on the age of this system here, is I bet you... Um, well, it could be two things. So one, that certificate may be in his uh, keychain access. I can't tell because believe it or not, I don't have a 10.5.8 system handy. <laughs> um, but what you want to do is you can force trust behavior um, if you go to keychain access. 
So what you're going to have to do, so one is when you get this error, you should be able to expand it and then look at the certificate or certificates involved in this. So like I said, the, the certificate may be named ax.itunes.apple.com or there could be a higher level certificate. And I suspect that's the case, Dave, and it's probably expired. And I think that's why this is happening. But what you can do is you can force the hand in keychain access. So what you want to do is once you find that certificate is you go into keychain access and then you go, uh, uh, you're going to see subcategories on the left and it's probably going to be system routes on the top and certificates on the, uh, on the category. And then you're going to see a whole boatload of certificates here. And uh, again, I'm guessing it's probably going to be one that's called Apple root. So Apple, like a lot of, a lot of other people uh, have a root certificate that then signs other certificates. Now, what you can do is if you double click on that certificate, you're then going to see a couple of uh, pull downs and one is called trust. And I'm going to bet that it's probably set to when using this certificate, use system defaults. Well, what you can do is you can, again, force the hand. And I think what's going to happen here is you probably want to highlight. Well, you could either uh, click on that pull down and say always trust. And mm. I think that's going to get rid of that error message for you. Or you could get more specific and you could say, okay, trust over SSL, trust over SMIME. Um, but I think in this case, if you just say when using the certificate, always trust, that should override the behavior and make it so you're not going to get this error message. It does make your system less secure because, but, but that's just, well, I mean, potentially uh, <clears throat> because, um, because you're saying you're essentially punting and saying, I don't care. I don't care about the validity of these security certificates. But the the thing is, if you do care about it, then you can't get to anything because they've all expired and you can't get updates, at least not easily. Yeah. And I don't, you know, they may have, I mean, occasionally they'll release updates. It's usually folded into the OS, um, but the, occasionally they will roll out updated certificates because they do expire. But I think the problem here is that that machine, as far as I know, Dave, that machine 10.5.8 is the end of the line. That's the most recent version of the OS you can run on that machine. Right. So you're not going to get updated certificates. So, yeah, you, you make a good point. But the thing is, if you want to get rid of this error message, this is really the only way to do it. Mm, right. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying is you, you just have to know what you're what what sacrifice you're, you're making. What compromise, I guess, is a better term. The sacrifice making. is that if you access a site that um, claims to be signed by Apple um, and it's not, you're not going to get a warning. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I, th I think there's a low risk of that, but, but there's a risk. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. so it's good to point that out. Yeah. Problem number two. Now, again, I'm not running this version. So I think there are two solutions to this. So number one, and I hadn't thought of this cause I didn't think this option was still here, but I'm looking in the latest version of iTunes, Dave, and I don't know if this is available in the, the crusty old version that he's using. Okay. But if you go to the advanced, so he said he turned off software update and that's a good place to start, but that's not necessarily where iTunes, um, that's not the only place that you can tell the system to look for updates because I'm looking right here, Dave. And so if I go to iTunes, um, preferences, advanced, there's a little checkbox, check for new software updates automatically. Yep. If that's there, that would be the best way to do it though. That may not be there. I'm not sure with this older version, if that option is available, if it's not, then I think the only way or, or an, another way if it even runs, again, we're talking old, um, 
what's happening, the, the reason that you're getting this message is, is because a lot of software will do what I call phone home, like ET, and that it goes to the mothership or it goes to the, it goes to the maker of the software and says, yeah, hi, this is my version. Uh, is there a newer one? Uh, you could use little snitch to block an attempt to do that. Uh, so if that checkbox is not there, that's the only other way I think you could do that, Dave, is, is uh, intercept that request and deny it. And then if it can't get to the server to ask it what the latest version is, then you're never going to get that annoying um, that's right. Update message. Yeah. Well, you might get another message, maybe saying can't contact. I, I don't know. Right. Can't contact the server or whatever. But who knows? Uh, yeah. It, it, it may yell at you or yeah. may. Um, yeah. I found most things when you. Yeah. When you disable it, it just assumes that the network is. You may get it. Yeah. You may get another message saying oh, there's I think there's something wrong with the network. Right. Like, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. So that's hey, what I got. All right. Sweet. I want to talk about OWC. Our third sponsor for this show at MacSales.com. As I mentioned in the intro, these folks make upgrading your Mac and enhancing your Mac their priority. And, and really their priority is making this a smooth experience for you, both from the installation and uh, application of the upgrade, as well as the price. They make it as easy on you as possible. They, they really, and I, I, I say this as a longtime customer of theirs, they clearly care about their customers here at, at OWC. They would not have lasted this long in our, in our community if they didn't. But, uh, you know, they really focus on this. And, and they, they were the, uh, I think, still the only people that have this Aura SSD. So if you've got a Mac Pro and you want to upgrade the SSD in your 2013, you know, uh, of cube tubular what do we call it cylindrical mac pro uh you can do up to two terabytes to uh to the ssd in there they've got a one terabyte option for 899 and a two terabyte option for 1479 um which is for for the way these upgrades work uh killer pricing right and they've got uh all the tools are included to do this right and that's the thing is they make this easy for you you open the box They've got a video to show you how it's done and then all the tools that you need to get in and out of your machine safely and responsibly are included right there with the uh, actual upgrade comes with a three year warranty. And then you can take the factory SSD and put it into the case because it includes uh, their own Envoy Pro SSD enclosure. So they, they've already thought about it, right? You go in, you come out, you've put the new SSD that was in the box now in your computer. And of course you replace the one that was in there. You don't just want to throw it away. Hey, look in the box. Look what's here. An external hard drive case, put the SSD in that. And now you've got it as an external as well. Like this is the a type of attention to detail that the folks at OWC do so that they create an experience, a full experience. You're not just buying, hey, I want that part. And now, oh, I got to figure out what to do with it. Uh, you can do that. But really, they create this package for you that makes it easy for you to get to the end, the full end of whatever that particular upgrade is. They're this way with RAM as well. Uh, John, you got an SSD from them uh, at, a, at an amazing and RAM and right. Well, I know we've both gotten RAM, but yeah, you, yeah you've as got soon it. as I got this refurb, which had a puny little hard drive and, and inadequate RAM, they're, they're the first people I went to to upgrade those babies to yeah. uh, something, something uh, 
Reasonable. Respectable. That's right. Reasonable. That's right. Yes. Yeah. It's something a human can do. One-stop shopping. I got, I got yeah. both my RAM and my SSD from them and uh, I'm very pleased. And their customer support's awesome. Um, invariably, there are times when you get something that's just not going to function the way it's supposed to. Uh, and, and of course, they'll, t- they'll, they'll, they'll swap it out for you. That, that's obvious. Uh, then what they do is they actually take the bad part into their lab here in the U.S., and put it through a whole QA process to figure out, okay, is this just a one-time problem? What's the problem? And then ask the question, is this a one-time problem? Uh, or have we seen this before? And if so, maybe we shouldn't work with that supplier anymore. Or, uh, you know, they've, they've sort of narrowed down their suppliers now. So, But it might be like, okay, wait a minute. You know, what kind of computer? They, they look kind of holistically at whatever the issue was. And it's like, okay, what kind of computer was this attempted to be used in? Is there something, you know, oddly incompatible? They, they've just got really smart people in the whole, in every aspect of the process so that the next customer doesn't, you know, go in uh, with this same kind of problem. If in fact it's a, you know, it's a problem that's systemic, even if it's systemic for just a small slice of their customer base, they really, really have this this holistic view of what they do and it makes a difference because it makes the customer experience for all of us that much better so you got to check them out maxsales.com they are uh like i said for ram hard drives uh, ssd upgrades these are uh these are these are some of the ones you want to look at here so check it out and uh, let them know we sent you they uh, they certainly appreciate it i think they've got a little drop down when you're when you're checking out uh, you can say that you heard about it from Mac Geek Cab, and they would appreciate that, as would we. John, a couple of shows ago, we uh, we raved about the ten ten four update because finally, uh, <laughs> my Mac, all of my Macs in my house feel like they should have on day one with um, with Yosemite. I, I I have this version of Yosemite that works. I was really, really excited about it. And, and we talked about this and I said how I'd upgraded all my Macs and things were working great. And that's still true. And Mike wrote in and said, uh, all that in episode five sixty, you discussed the release of ten ten four. This is Apple's fifth version of the OS five tries and many months to get it right. And you are praising them for fixing issues that should not have been broken in the first place. Where are the John and Dave of old giving Apple a good old fashioned fish shake when deserved? In fact, Apple deserved a fish shake and a rant. We need voices like yours to remind us that this is not acceptable. Keep up the good work, but be critical when it's deserved. And you're totally right, Mike. And I think, you know, throughout the, the, the months that since Yosemite was released, we had, you know, our little minor fish shakes and frustrations. But um, it, I was simply so happy to finally have these fixed that I totally lost sight of the fact that, you know, we should also, as you astutely did uh, have pointed out that this is also not acceptable as good as it is that we finally get these fixes. It's not acceptable that, that we, that we had to do this. We shouldn't happy as we are. We should not have had this opportunity to be happy. And, uh, and I totally agree with you. And it's one of the things I like with what they're doing with El Capitan, where uh, they, I mean, they're adding some features and, and, and stuff like that. And of course we're going to have a, a rough road. My guess is, you know, when it's released, although with this public beta being truly public now, uh, maybe if they listen to the bug reports, because they didn't listen to the bug reports for discovery D 
right? That was the problem. These bugs were reported a year ago during the private developer beta, and it took, you know, almost a year for it to get fixed. So hopefully Apple has learned that lesson, but it, it sure seems like they're really focused on, on, you know, stability and, and speed and efficiency of, of the OS, which is what an OS should be focused on. I think at least sometimes. So yes, thank you, Mike, for the, uh, for the reminder that we must, even when we're happy, we must keep a critical eye. We got time for a couple more, John. You want to, uh, you want to do Scott? Get that rolling? In? Yes. All right, go ahead. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Let me, let me get, oh gosh, where are you, Scott? You caught me by surprise, but now Hi. I have Scott. Great. <clears throat> here we go, because I learned something here. So Scott's question is, regarding using an SD card volume for, whoop, hold on. Ah, no, there's his, uh, <laughs> there's his question. Okay. Hi, guys. Two things. Um, well, we'll skip the first thing. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that was a question to you. Secondly, I have a new MacBook Pro bought this year, latest OS, and it has an SD card slot in the side. The SSD drive in my machine is 256 gigs. Assuming I had a 256 gig SD card in the slot, could I use that for time machine backup? Question mark. I know the general consensus is two times my hard drive size for Time Machine, but since I only have about 80 gigs of data on the drive, it'd certainly be enough for now, and it'd be much nicer, and I could leave the SD card in there all the time instead of having to remember to plug USB drives in from time to time. Thoughts? And I'm going to give you some thoughts, Dave. Maybe even a fish shake. All right, you want a fish shake? <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> now, first, I was pretty sure you could do this, Dave. But I wasn't entirely sure. So I went online and I, and I looked at uh, Apple's, uh, you know, Apple has an article uh, about Time Machine. I'm like, well, let me check Time Machine. Well, what do they have to say about it? And according to Apple, Apple says, well, hey, if you, got, uh, if you want to use Time Machine, you can back your files up to an external hard drive connected to a USB Firewire or Thunderbolt port. I'm like, mm, well, that, that's, they didn't say SD, did they? Mm. Or um, USB port of an airport uh, or an airport time capsule. So they don't say that you can, but they don't say that you can't. So I decided to find out, Dave. Uh, and I was looking around and actually uh, I didn't have any large SD cards uh, handy. So I actually ordered a couple because, uh, hey, everybody needs more SD cards, right? Or at yeah. least I did. So I went online and I, and I got what looked to be some pretty decent uh, SD cards. Uh, I'll have to I'll find a link to them, but okay. they were a Lexar 32 gig um, high speed or so they say. I think they were rated at 96 megabytes a second. Okay. okay. Just, it's pretty, pretty good. Yep. Um, and of course, they have a caveat saying, well, that's the read speed. The write speed is probably going to be a little, little mm. slower, which sure. is true of any, any memory. Sure. Uh, that I know of. So I'm like, okay, so ordered up some of those, uh, you know, put one in there, formatted it, which you must do for time machine. I formatted it as a uh, HFS uh, plus. Yeah. Or uh Mac OS 10 extended journal, um, which right. is what time machine needs. Right. And so I formatted it like that. Then I went to time machine and uh, lo and behold, that drive showed up as a potential candidate for Time Machine Backup. Okay. I'm like, okay, great. So, 
The answer is yes, you could do this. Now, in my case, since I already back up to my Synology, it said, well, hey, you want to you want to back up to this instead or you want to alternate between the two, which is something that they introduced a while ago in Time Machine, which I think is kind of slick. Um, and so I said yes and started the backup. Uh, I didn't complete it, but, but it, it was going through the motions. So I would say, yes, you can do this. So even though Apple doesn't explicitly say SD card, but then Dave, then I has a sad because I'm like, well, you know, I wonder what kind of throughput we're getting here. Cause that was my warning is that, well, you know, SD cards, you gotta, cause some SD cards can, can be very slow. Sure. You want to make sure that you get one that's rated and also the interface. So the first thing I did, Dave, is I researched the, uh, the throughput of the, uh, that interface. And if you, if you go to system info, you know, about this Mac system info card slot, it'll say, Oh, well, the data rate on this um, is 2.5 GTs per sec. Well, what the heck is that? Basically, when you do the math, so there's some encoding 10-bit to 8-bit and all that stuff here. So it's gigatransactions per second. But basically, what that comes out to is about uh, 300 megabytes a second. Okay, so that shouldn't okay. be a bottleneck. Right. The SD card shouldn't be a bottleneck. The SD interface shouldn't be because the card isn't going to run that fast. Right. Well, actually, I think there are cards that uh, you're going to pay, but there are cards that uh, approach that speed. Okay. Believe it or not. Okay. I, I found some, but yeah, you're going to pay. I mean, these cards that I bought were like 20 bucks. Yeah. Well, I for, found for the, uh, the Lexar just because the listener asked about 256 gig cards. So I looked and the Lexar 90 megasecond 256 gig card is 160 bucks, but you can get a PNY 90 megasecond 256 gig card for 95 bucks. So I'll put both of those in the show notes, but uh, right. th- that's not bad, right? 95 bucks for, or uh, yeah, 95 bucks for 256 gigs. Yeah. Or is it? Now here's, well, here's where it started breaking down, Dave. So I'm like, you know, you know what? I'm curious what the throughput is on this. So uh, let me get a benchmarking utility. And I used uh, what a lot of us like to use, but if you haven't used this, the uh, black magic disc speed test is a swell tool for checking throughput on your drive. So I'm like, well, let me check the throughput on this drive. You can, of course, select a drive other than your primary hard drive. And so I selected it. And while I was getting, you know, nice read speeds approaching what they said, you know, uh, 90 or so, I think I was seeing 80, 90. Yep. I was seeing horrible write speeds, like 10 megabytes a second. And I'm like, wait, 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 something's wrong here. So at first I thought that Lexar was ripping me off that they made, you know, because they do have, again, a little asterisk saying, well, read speeds are going to be slower. Sure. Or write speeds are going to be slower. And I'm like, well, dude, I mean, come on. I mean, 10. That's, that's way slower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I looked at the write-ups uh, on Amazon and uh, people wrote in and said, well, here's the throughputs I'm seeing. Uh, I'm seeing like 45 write. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Why am I seeing 10 when other people are seeing 45? And I'm like, if only I had another device that I could test the Swiss and, and I do. So I got to thank my friends at, um, again, I do believe it's a uh, Lexar. Was it Lexar or SanDisk? I'll have to double check here. I'll, I'll link to it. But basically I have that was given to me. Um, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll link to the uh, appropriate device here. Um, but I have a USB three SD card reader. And even though it's called a reader, it's a reader and a writer. And I'm like, well, let me see the throughput if I put it in that device. And Dave, I put it in this device. And I got the speeds that I was expecting. The read oh. and write speeds. So the message here is that what, for, for whatever reason, Apple's SD card implementation is um, 
how do I put this? Um, less than optimal. <laughs> and that if my experience is any, any indication, and I tried it on two machines, I tried it both on my MacBook Pro and I tried it on my Mac Mini, which also has an SDXC slot. That's what they call this. Yeah. And their write speed is just horrible. I don't know why it is. I, I, I can't, I, the only thing I can identify is it's the driver because none of what I see in the hardware right. specs indicate that it should, be. they even say, okay, it may be attached to a USB two bus, but even USB two, Dave is, you know, you should be getting 40 megabytes mm. a second, right? That's right. You know, USB two, USB two is, a, so it's either attached to a SATA, I think an eSATA or a USB bus, but even then, so I'm baffled as to why I'm seeing such slow write speeds. So the answer is, do you want to do this? Yes and no. The thing is, if you do, you're going to have to put up with substandard write speeds. And, and you may find that frustrating. And so maybe not for the amount of data that you're backing up. Maybe not. The initial backup may be very painful and it'll take forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's um, there's the question of how much of a beating is that? flash memory going to take before it 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 dies it is or is there is that is that not a concern with an sd card i mean i you know um you know i was looking that up and i think any any flash memory has a limited number of read cycles though from, from what i've read uh, you know, even SD cards, you're, you're talking kind of like SSD. So okay. you may have less. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking from what I could find out, you know, hundreds of thousands of write cycles before it, it stops doing what it does. Okay. But I think I in the grand scheme of things, I, this isn't a, a, a typical use case for an SD card, right? An SD card it, traditionally is, you know, I'm going to throw a photo at it. I'm going to throw another photo at it. I'm going to throw another photo at it. And then I'm going to read all those off. Right. And that that could be why Apple's driver has not been optimized, assuming and I, I agree with you. That's the only thing that makes sense is that it's just the driver. It's been optimized for reads because that's what you're doing with it. Right. You're you're taking the card yeah. out of your camera. You put it in your Mac and you slurp all the stuff off. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, can that's you do it. Yes. Do you want to? Mm-hmm. Hey, I like it up to you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you mentioned black magic and that. um that reminded me of a post that Allison Sheridan put together uh, where she was testing some of actually from OWC's new uh, Envoy SSDs uh, or the Envoy Pro Mini, the, 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 the small one. And she tested it with Blackmagic because that's the one we all use. And it uh, it did not test up to the specs that she expected. So she talked to OWC and actually she called me first. and She's like, do you have one of those? I said, no. And so she called OWC and, and they said, yeah, black magic's not the right thing to test. You should use the Asia, Asia, A-J-A, um, uh, disc test. And, and it was because they're, they're saying that, well, her, the title of her article says it all, all flash memory is not the same. And the article is about synchronous versus asynchronous SSDs. And it, and it's the different types of flash memory that's being used, um, for different purposes. And it's a great article. I, I highly recommend reading it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rehash it all here, but uh, but we'll definitely put a link in the show notes. This is this is important to understand that you know the purpose for which flash memory is applied or intended, I should say, uh, will inform the decisions about which types of flash memory to uh, to use, and that that can impact the way say writes are and 
you know, black magic doesn't write compressed data or compressible data, whereas, um, you know, Asia does. And so you'll see higher speeds, but it may be more reflective of real world performance. You know, if you're if you're using a drive that's built for, say, you know, dumping video to uh, that's basically uncompressible data at that point. So um, so black magic is the right test for that. And that's why those charts in black magic talk about what types of video you can stream, like, you know, just live to this drive, whereas a smaller SSD, like a two fifty six. Um, you're not going to be, you know, just dumping raw video to. And so it makes sense to use uh, the, a different type of, of, uh, of flash memory, but then you have to test it for its intended use case, or at least be aware that, that there is an intended use case. So it's, it, it was an interesting article. Thank you, Allison, for, uh, for writing it because it's, it's good to have this resource out there. And, okay, and it was uh, a, a Lexar USB three reader, and it looks like they're okay. not terribly expensive. Only only about the I, I found some out there for about thirty bucks. So, oh, nice! Uh, you may want to consider getting you know if you want to get decent write speeds, you may want to consider one of those. So he said, yeah, he'd rather not have something like that hanging off the side. So yeah, yeah, right. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, well. Then at that point, you might as well just buy an external drive and and go from there because you don't need to store your backups on a SSD, right? You know, that's, that's where spindle drives are great. And you just dump your backups to a spindle drive and be done with it. So, Hey, uh, while we're talking, Eric's question is one that, uh, has been asked of us quite a bit lately. And I wanted to address it here in the show. It seems to come around once every six months or we let it percolate up into the show. Once every six months, we're probably asked this once a week. And, uh, Eric, succinctly writes i'm wondering if you can help thin out the list of options of synologies i want to get a disk station i want to run a plex server on it i have bose sound touch i have an apple tv and i want to do some basic basic nas functionality just storing files i have a ton of music movies tv shows and photos and you're right if you go to synology's website it's a mess uh trying to figure out what uh, you know, what NAS works for you. And, uh, and so we are happy to help. So the thing you want to really focus on as the, you know, the, the CPU, well, there's two things, right? The, the CPU uh, that's inside the unit is something you want to be aware of when you're choosing what you're going to do. So that, cause that's going to limit or, or offer the capabilities of, of the unit. And then of course the number of bays, that uh, that the drive, you know, the number of drives that you can put in the thing. So they have two bay units all the way up to, I think, 16 bay units. Um, for most of you listening here, you, you know, the most you're probably going to want is an eight bay unit. But even that might be overkill, although I'm now running the DS 1815 plus here and it's awesome. I don't have all the bays filled in a sense yet. Um, I mean, I have some drives for them, but I've been sort of mucking about with, with, um, with things. And so I haven't, I haven't filled them all yet, but um, the important thing to focus on first is the CPU of the device, because that really is going to limit or, or be the factor that limits what you can do with it. If all you want is standard NAS functionality, any of these are going to be fine. And, you know, where, where I recommend you starting is looking at the DS uh, 
two fourteen play if you want a two bay unit or the DS two fifteen plus. Both of them have dual core CPUs, but the DS two fourteen play actually has an Intel Atom CPU, which I think is a better choice right now for most uh, most people. Also, because the DS two fourteen play has a hardware transcoding engine. So things like video station are going to be able to uh, deal with your video files better because it's got the, the ability and hardware to do that. Uh, the DS215 Plus can do some of it with its built-in CPU, but uh, you might run into some issues. Plex, Plex support for these units uh, that, you know, in the, in the 200 series is doable, but you often have to jump through some hoops to make that happen. But video station, we have Plex installed on, on our Synology here and we never use it. We use video station and stream directly to the Apple TV with that. So the, it, you might not need Plex, even if you think you need Plex. Uh, I have it running here uh, and I'm happy to share movie libraries and music libraries with anybody, but it's not, um, it, we don't use it uh, for, for anything. However, there are other things you might want to do with your Synology. They've got Docker, which is this killer virtualization engine. Uh, you may want to do some movie conversions on it. And as and you might want to run CrashPlan. And if you these things, in addition to needing CPU, also need RAM. And the uh, two bay units each have a gig of RAM, and I believe it's soldered. So it is not even unofficially upgradable. But the good news is these are pretty inexpensive units. Uh, you can get them for a couple of hundred bucks. They come with two drives or you can you can get them. You can, if you get the beyond cloud system, which is a great way to get started, because it's essentially a, you know, a, a 214 play, I believe. No, it's a 214 ES um, and it'll do all of this stuff and it comes with the drives and it's easy to set up. But the good news with Synology is you can take the drives out of any smaller Synology and move that move them into a larger Synology, so more drive bays, and maintain all your settings, all your data, everything. It's a smooth upgrade. I've done it many times here, and it works really well. So with that in mind, um, then we start talking about the the fifteen the the, the fifteen series, which I what, what I call because that's this year's model. And really, there's there's two to look at, and and frankly, really, there's just one to look at, and it's the DS fifteen fifteen plus. The other one to look at is the eighteen fifteen, the one I have here. But um, in terms of CPU capability, the, really the only difference between them is the, the number of bays. There's three more bays in the, in the 1815 plus. Uh, the 415 is another one to look at. Uh, it is officially RAM limited in that it only comes with, uh, well, let me find it here, two gigs of onboard RAM that is not upgradable officially. Whereas the 1515 does have upgradable RAM, but there is a video that will show you how to upgrade the RAM and replace it and get yourself all the way up to eight gigs in that 415. It, it will void your warranty almost certainly. And I've, I've put together a little chart here that I'll put in the show notes so you can see all of these models compared um, in a really, really easy way. But, uh, but you, you know, looking, looking for a quad core CPU in your NAS makes a big difference. Uh, so that you can, like I said, um, and, and plenty of RAM, you want to have at least four gigs in that thing, uh, preferably six uh, to, to really do things, you know, running crash plan requires Java in there. And so suddenly your RAM requirements go way up. 
Uh, the same is true if you're going to run Docker, which is a virtualization engine where you can actually run apps uh, and cr connect to a remote desktop on your Synology. And that, you know, of course, requires RAM because you're running a whole other operating system and whole other apps inside there. And then, of course, things like video and, and all of that, having the RAM to run all of these apps on your Synology makes us makes for a smoother experience. So check out this chart that I put in the show notes. But uh, but man, that that quad core CPU that's in the 415 plus the 1515 plus and the 1815 plus. It's awesome. Really, really. They've done a really nice job with this. And I, uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's, it's great. The, the, honestly, if there was an officially supported path to upgrade the RAM in the 415 plus, I would recommend that all day long. But because there's not, I have to edge toward the 1515 plus. Uh, but if you're willing to get your hands dirty and potentially void your warranty, you know, the 415 plus has one RAM slot, but it is a slot. You can take the case off and just swap out the chip. And those chips are cheap. I think I, I got RAM for like, I don't know, 30 bucks or something. It's, it's not, it's a trivial cost. So it's good stuff. Wow. Can I upgrade my RAM? Hmm. I don't know if you, how much RAM do you have in yours? You have the 713 plus. Yeah, and we, we had a separate conversation about that where someone asked, hey, should I get a Synology? And I'm like, hey, I kind of like my 713 Plus. And, and you were like, well, yeah, but it's the, uh, which is correct. Yeah, you, you looked at the product line more than me, but this is a relatively, well, this is a couple of years old. So it's yeah. not the, the latest and greatest. It still meets my needs. The, the, the answer is, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm looking right now. I'm logged into mine. You and have, I'm, you I'm have using one, 25. You have one gig of RAM in it. And I think... It's not upgradable RAM wise. Well, everything's upgradable. I, well, but I don't. I don't know if yours is soldered. I don't, I don't need. Yeah. No, I, I. Oh, it could be. Yeah, and eh, no, I'm, yeah. I'm looking right now, and it says I'm using 25 percent of my RAM, and like, oh, that's good. Almost nothing in my CPU. So, yeah, no, I don't. I don't need to. Right. 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 Yeah, yeah, they're they're all good units. They they have too many options, and I've told them this. I'm like, dude, you got to like focus down. And that's where they came with the whole Beyond Cloud thing, um, mm -hmm. uh, which is great because it lets you. It just it's an, a really easy way to get started. So it, you know, if you're if you just want to get your um, your feet wet with uh, with Synology, do the Beyond Cloud thing. I mean, you can you know you can get in there and get you know two three terabyte drives plus the unit all packaged in one for like 240 bucks. So it's, um, I think, right. Am I getting that wrong? Yeah. Did I get that wrong? Is that oh, the, no, is that the, oh that's know. the one drive bay that you can do. So it's not, it's a single three terabyte drive. So it doesn't have any fault tolerance for 240 bucks, but it gets you started and you have the drive that you can then, you know, bounce to a, a future one, two ter two, three terabyte drives, is a uh, about ninety bucks more, three hundred and fifty bucks, and you get the two drives inside the Beyond Cloud enclosure. It's great, um, and it's really, it really is a simple, easy way to get started. Um, and then, you know, if you want more capabilities, you take those drives out and put them in the next Synology you buy, and you're off to the races. And it's really easy. So, yeah, I think they have the problem that Apple had a while ago. Yes, in the bad old days, in that they had too many options i mean i'm looking right now and the thing is so yeah so they group them large business small business medium business home work group no. but even within that the, you you look and you're like well what's the difference and right. yeah you could dig through the specs but it's uh, the, yeah they, they got to um 
yeah, like you're saying, they're refining or they're trying to create use cases. So, you know, kind of like they're starting to do here. It's just they offer too many options in each category. <laughs> yeah, right. In right. my humble opinion. No, I, you're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah, it's too many options. Yeah. And I'm sure each one of them is, you know, makes good sense when you argue, well, this drive will serve these needs. And OK, fine. And, and you know, maybe they have some some enterprise customers that are very specific about their needs. And they're like, look, we want, you know, uh, 500 of something that matches this. And so they're like, yeah, shoot, we'll build it. And then why don't we put it in our product line and sell it to other people? Well, because then it's confusing and nobody knows what to buy. But uh, but I, that's why I put that chart up. So you you can you can find the chart and it's good. It's really it's it it really is. They they do a nice job. Um I've been very happy, as you all know. So there you go. I think we have time for uh for one more here, John, and I, I wanna go to oh, where is my where are my notes here? I wanna go to Scott because Scott has more than just an interesting resolution, an interesting path there. It's a great story that I want to share. So Scott says, I contacted you guys back in March or April to tell you about my story of woes with a networking problem. As a very quick recap, I was loosely wired. I, I was losing wired connectivity to all machines on the network. I thought at first it was my airport router. However, I then thought maybe it was a bad ethernet socket. I even swapped out the switch, the router, the cables, and even contacted anyone who would listen. I even asked the squirrels for their advice, but they just wanted to help. They wanted to help chew up wires and beg for peanuts. In the end, after many hours of troubleshooting, cursing, and cajoling, the issue turned out to be a bad USB to Ethernet adapter. I borrowed another one, an Apple adapter, from my employer, and I've been running it for about six hours with no problems at all here. The previous adapter would cause a total loss of wired access within 10 minutes or so of being connected. I just wanted to share the update because after all the mucking about, I'm sure that uh, uh, mucking about, I'm sure another device I had considered, but perhaps not carefully enough. The reason why I missed this? Well, at the office, I've not had any issues when using the adapter. What finally clued me in is the fact that occasionally when starting the MacBook Air, the Ethernet was just not there. It was as though the adapter had never been connected. Unplugging it and plugging it back in would resolve the issue. The issue only occurred randomly, so I did not immediately connect the events. However, I'd been thinking about the issue for the last couple of months. I wondered if carrying the adapter back and forth to the office eventually caused a break in the pigtail between the adapter and the USB connector. Seems hard to imagine, but anything is possible. So thanks for sharing this, Scott. Yeah, you know, it, it's because it's a great story about a, a couple of things. You know, the first is... You've got to do all the work and, and troubleshoot through. And then you kind of need to let it, if you can't, if you haven't solved the problem, you kind of need to let it germinate sometimes in your head. And, you know, I call it driving time or shower time. That time when you're sort of in that, you know, trance like state where you're doing something that's pretty much automatic to you. And so you, your mind gets to wander a little bit. Right. And this is when, you know, the hard problems get solved because your mind gets to sort of relax from its, its normal focus and the stuff that's just swimming around gets to just swim around. And a lot of times what this, the way I find it manifest is you get this gut feeling like, wait a minute, is it that trust your gut? You know, that that's some of the best advice I can give is trust your gut because 
Scott let this swim around and suddenly was like, Hey, wait a minute, there's this thing. And he noticed one thing and clearly it was on his mind, but you know, you just, you got to have this stuff all in your head so that that one little symptom that's not really related, but is can be the trigger. So nice kudos to you, Scott. Thank you for, for sharing your, your story with us. It's, um, it's good stuff. I think so. What do you think, John? I think I want people to write us, Dave. Where shall they write us? Well, you know, my favorite, Dave, is sending an email to feedback at MacGeekGap.com. You said feedback at MacGeekGap.com. No, 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 no. I said feedback at MacGeekGap.com. Yeah, that is what you said. It's true. <laughs> 206-666-GEEK, folks is, the, folks, is the phone number you can call. And, John, of course, GEEK is? 4335. That's what you say. They can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Facebook. Go to this URL. Start at MacGeekGab.com. Go to MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook. That's going to get you straight to our awesome Facebook community. You got to check this out. Really, really good stuff happening over there. So if you're if you're not philosophically opposed to Facebook, this is where you want to be. MacGeekab.com slash Facebook. That way we don't have to give you the crazy long, you know, hashed URL. We can just boom. There you go. So come and visit us. As always, I want to thank Michael Johnston for all of his hard work uh, helping us with this show. And I, uh, he is the host of the iOS show podcast, as well as uh, the publisher of getappler.com. Two fine properties out there. You got to check out the iOS show. You're going to love that one. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com is the place where... Uh, we get all our bandwidth from to get the show to you and they put it on all their servers all over the world in fact so uh, it works really well and that way when you go to download the show Cashfly's got a got a copy of the show near you so you don't have to get it from halfway around the world they take care of that all in one fell swoop so thanks to them the podcast marketplace as we mentioned of course Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com you gotta check them out Linda at LYNDA.com slash MGG for the future of education. Check it out. You can learn something right now. Even though you just learned stuff in this show, there's more stuff to learn from Linda. Barebones at B-A-R-B-E-B-O-N-E-S.com. The makers of BB Edit, a text editor really, truly for everyone, not just for programmers. Although if you're a programmer, you're going to love it too. Gazelle, G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com is where... You can uh, sell off all your old stuff and get some cash. iMazing.com. Can't live without iMazing. They're doing some great stuff with iOS 8.4, too. We'll put a link to their blog post. Smile Software is where it's the home of Smile.com. And then, of course, Squarespace. Squarespace.com slash MGG, where you can build your website and build it beautiful. I have some advice to share with you. I know I already shared trust your gut, which is important, but equally is, in fact, maybe a hair more important because in order to be able to trust your gut, you have to follow this advice. Don't get caught. Made up.